Welcome back to Crime Scene Queens. I'm Shelly, your legal beagle, also known as Court Bitch, recently named, and your resident court rat. And that makes me your resident field mouse and crime scene investigator, Laura. How is court going for you this like past month or so? Have you had like a lot of interesting cases going on? Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's 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 a super shit show because of COVID. Everything's been yeah. backed up. It's just backlog, and now things are catching up. Mm-hmm. And so you know, one after the after another after another is what's going on. And then you know we have like major, I don't know, major verdicts that we have to retry cases and stuff. So yeah, it's right. You know. Yeah, it's it's been it's been quite um, interesting, which I guess could kind of be our myth of the day, right? Because court is not sexy yeah. or interesting. It's a nervous shit show of a waiting game. Yeah, I mean, I feel like television does a pretty bad job of portraying what court is actually like. Every time I've ever had to testify, it's like not this super like Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial level of interesting content and suspense. It's always me sitting outside the courtroom because of invoking the rule, which basically means that you're not allowed to discuss the case at all with anybody that's uh, in the courthouse, just waiting and waiting and waiting and playing Candy Crush or words with friends on your phone. And you're waiting hours, sometimes days to testify for not even that much time. I mean, I don't know what your experience is, but even when I've had to testify for like homicide or some other high profile case. I mean, my work is so lockstep that there's not really much questioning that can be done other than clarification, but it's just not as cool as TV. Oh yeah. I mean, that, you know, that totally leads into like the, the CSI effect and yeah, it's Mm -hmm. definitely sexier on TV and it definitely doesn't take 45 minutes and you don't get the the big, huge, like, oh my gosh, you can't handle the truth. Although there was there was a trial that uh, I was I was involved in, and I was pretty proud of one of the attorneys because he kind of just went after one of the experts, and he he pulled a "you can't handle the truth" moment, and it was no oh, way. Yeah, it totally worked. It was it was pretty it was pretty stellar. So. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that with that case. That's awesome. I can't wait to hear about that later. I mean, I guess we should kind of like get into the fact that this is your area of expertise. Like, y'all, Shelly is your resident legal beagle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as Laura was saying, you know, she is the the crime scene mouse. And I was actually just given the nickname of a court <laughs> bitch today. So I kind of like that. You know, I mean, that's perfect. I, I, I really dig that. You know, I'll, I'll take anything. I love yeah. that. I would definitely like. I'm gonna randomly text you now and be like, "Hey, court bitch, I have like a depo today." Like, what oh, 100. percent Like, what? So you I say, say? depo, <laughs> meaning a deposition, right? So, oh, right, a yeah, deposition. Yeah, because not a lot of people know what depositions are, and so depositions are usually in civil court, not necessarily in criminal court, because you know you have the the world of civil versus criminal is so uh, they're so they're almost polar opposites. And when you're in civil court, it takes quite a while to get everything done. You know, you're supposed to have mm-hmm. a right to a somewhat speedy trial, but criminal, you definitely have a right to a speedy trial because, you know, obviously you don't want someone that is potentially innocent sitting in jail for 
forever, you know, year or two years. I mean, we've got cases that are from all the way back in, you know, 2014, 2015 that we're going to be going to trial on this year. So Shelly, you should totally define for our client, our, our clients. Oh my God. You can totally tell you're getting ready to test. You're to testify. I know. I know. (laughs) I, I, I do have to testify soon actually to your point, but I think that you should define for our audience because I have found that a lot of people are confused about the difference between civil and criminal trials in the way that like a lot of people call the police over civil issues. So can you help our audience understand the difference between those two things? I would start off by saying that criminal is about justice and civil is about the money. Mm, Right. But it's not just about the money in the way that like, oh my God, I slipped and fell in Walgreens. It's like... A wider spectrum, A lot right? of times forensics, uh, the forensic professionals, they testify in mainly criminal. And while mm-hmm. civil is more my wheelhouse, I do understand and know both civil and criminal. And the reason that uh, forensic professionals testify in criminal is because mm-hmm. that's where the evidence is. That's where, you know, they go to the crime scenes and that's where they pull everything and you're kind of going, you know, they, they find the um, I keep using the word evidence, but I guess that's the only word that is that fits. So, you know, they find all the evidence mm-hmm. that can potentially put someone away or that can um, set someone free. Right. So I think a helpful example that maybe you could use is like people often reference the fact that O.J. Simpson maybe lost his criminal case in the murder of Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson. However, he was found civilly liable. Can you maybe provide clarity on that? Yeah. So um, criminally, they said, you're free, you're good. You know, if the if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit, right? That was the that was the phrase. <laughs> so yeah, so the glove mm-hmm. didn't fit. Well, you know, come on, people, obviously. I mean, not to get too much into politics, but I even... I even tell people in my class, I say, you know, when you go to court, you're super nervous. So, you know, if you're on a crime scene, you normally mm-hmm. wear a size small glove, bring a small, bring a medium. <laughs> That's, you know, what you got to do because yep. your hands are sweaty, they're swollen, they're whatever they are. So your small gloves are not going to fit. And if you're going to handle evidence. Or if you're M&M, your palms are sweaty and there's vomit on your sweater. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Love that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Um, mom spaghetti. But yeah. So, you know, I always tell everyone, I say, hey, you know, make sure that you guys are bringing, you know, at least one size up from what you normally wear because you want to make sure that they fit. And, mm-hmm. you know, then there's people. People are like, well, I wear a triple XL glove, which, you know, no one ever has those. So I say, okay, then, you know, for you guys that have super large gloves then or large hands, I guess, then you we need the the glove inserts, you know, the, the hand protectors. So that way your glove slides right on. That's what she said. But <laughs> so to this point, though, I feel the need to be forensically responsible and say that in my particular crime scene units that I worked in, we made a point to have all sizes of gloves available because very often we would have officers in the crime scene unit to be repackaging or or reassessing or detectives um, the evidence. And at times we even had victims or persons of interest coming into the crime scene unit Like um, victims would sometimes have to identify the gun that was used. And we always made sure that everybody had something to have that proper PPE or personal protective equipment to prevent the cross-contamination that we've discussed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's 100 percent accurate. Yeah. It's like a best practices. Right. Yeah. That's that's exactly it. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's there's so many facets to 
to testifying. There's so many facets to courtrooms. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's so many behind the scenes things that no one really knows about. And, you know, forensic professionals, they fall under, you know, the general federal rule of evidence. And it's the federal rule of evidence 702. And it's pretty much just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a blanket that says that a witness who's qualified as an expert by knowledge, mm -hmm. skill, experience, training or education, they can testify in the form of an opinion. So you've got, you know, your witnesses mm. that like maybe they saw the crime happen. Well, they can't give their opinion. They have to give facts. So they're called a fact witness. And so the people that can give opinions are the experts. And in forensics, you know, sometimes that's a loose term is opinion, right? Because you're mm -hmm. supposed to be an unbiased party. So your opinion should really stay out of it. However, if let's say you're a latent print expert, right? So your fingerprint for, you know, for our listeners, you know, you do fingerprints. Well, you're going to give the opinion whether I think there was like a couple episodes that, you know, we talk about the, you know, your samples and such. So you're going to pull a sample and you're going to say whether the print that was found on scene matches the sample matches, you know, the person that lives in the house that their fingerprint should be there as opposed to someone that their fingerprint shouldn't be there. Right. And um, would that maybe tie into whether or not that state is a Daubert or a Fry state? Yeah, and there's actually not all 50 states are Daubert. And those are the – so uh, Daubert and Fry are uh, the, the monumental cases that kind of geared evidence. They steered, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm totally going to get into that in a little bit. But yeah, so – a couple of states actually still use Fry. We are a Fry state in yeah, Florida. Yeah, so is so California is a Fry state, but only in state court, not in federal court. Federal court, you have to. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. so um, you know, there's there's a couple more things to the to the federal rule 702, but you know that that was pretty much the gist of it. But yeah, so you know, talking about like so, there's the Dalbert standard, there's Fry standard, right? So the Dalbert standard mm -hmm. ba is based off of three different cases, and it's the it's called the Dalbert trilogy, and it's. Dalbert, Kumho Tire, and the Joiner cases. Oh, I actually didn't know that, that it was based off of yeah, cases. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And Fry, the Fry standard, it pretty much says, you know, the general acceptance. Um, it's the general acceptance rule. So it's test by the scientific mm -hmm. community. However, the problem with Fry was that it often excluded the new cutting-edge scientific methods because, as I just said, it was the general acceptance. So if it was accepted by the scientific community, then you could consider yourself an expert because you utilize what was already accepted. Well, what if there's something new? You can't use it because it hasn't been accepted, right? Well, I mean, I have to tell you from, like, my perspective – working in a fry state, the scientific community is riddled with academic snobbery. So we actually don't allow a lot of bullshit in, basically. Like, I remember when we had some new and emerging technologies with DNA in the past five or six years, particularly with the MVAC, which is um, a new and innovative way to collect DNA uh, specimens. And we can have an entire episode on MVAC, actually. Yeah, we definitely need but, to get into that because um, that's huge. And we can actually talk to the inventor's son of that uh, machine. I can't wait to solicit him. But what I'm trying to get at is even though it might not be as quantifiable as the public would like to see, um, the scientific community is really, really finicky and apprehensive to let any new technique in because for us, 
We want things that are better, smarter, quicker, faster, more efficient. However, we're not going to let you sit with us <laughs> either. <laughs> like, <laughs> So I appreciate the need for standardization and to having a governing body, but don't think that we're just like, oh my God, this works. Let's use yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. And, you know, with, with Daubert, so Daubert opened the door actually for like new techniques. So there's scientific mm -hmm. techniques and then there's also the non-scientific techniques. You know, for instance, you know, I deal a lot with uses of force. You know, you represent law enforcement. Right. And so unfortunately, you know, there's ends up being uses of force. And so they're while they're not necessarily scientific, even though I feel that they are, they uh, they fall under the Daubert. Well, you know, I actually do think, like, not to disagree with you because I don't, but we do have something called the use of force continuum that is part of law enforcement training. And whether or not the public understands and or agrees with the way that that continuum is executed. And I don't mean to use that word as a double entendre. It's like just literally like that use of force is implemented, I guess is a better word. It does have research, facts, data, variables behind it. Because, you know, he, you hear a lot of bullshit like, oh, well, why couldn't the cops just shoot him in the foot? Because, because several, several million reasons why not. But, you know, I do feel like what I want to ask you about is in a courtroom perspective, when a crime scene investigator is trying to testify to, let's just call it a job well done, like where they've actually literally been thorough, but let's just say that person isn't very good at public speaking or they have a lot of anxiety or nerves. Like what advice would you give them since this is kind of your area of expertise or like what what would you tell that person? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if they've got just a few minutes, I can I can hit on just, you know, very few topics. Go for but, it, girl. You know, I mean, Speak I also can, you know, do a three-day course on it. And that's amazing as well. Uh -huh. um, so, right. you know, my, my real quick tips are keep your normal routine. And what I mean by that is, you know, and I tell everyone, if you're, you know, if you've got court in the morning and you wake up and you normally have a cup of coffee, stick with your one cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. That's fine. If you wake up and you have like five cups, and maybe scale it back to like four because you're going to get nervous. And so, <laughs> you know, if you have like one to three, then, you know, sure, keep that routine. And then before you walk into the courtroom, you're going to want to breathe and smile. I always tell them, BS me. So you breathe and you smile. Uh, because nice. if you breathe and you smile, it naturally calms you down. And you know that because, you know, Miss I Yoga, do. queen. I do. So, yes. yeah. And I tell them, you know, always pause. And what you're doing is, you know, I, I remind them, look, the juries love you. So the juries, even though there's that, that negative CSI effect, it doesn't matter. They still love you. Mm -hmm. They want to hear what you have to say. So they're super interested in everything that you did, even if, you know, it's like sometimes a boring forensic topic, which, you know, I don't want to offend anyone mm -hmm. and call anyone out. But you yeah. know, there's a few out there that aren't the, you know, the most entertaining but it's still... There's no show about them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, you know, I mean, it's still... It, it's still... Uh, the, the juries still love it and they still want to hear everything about it. So I tell them, you know, remember, you're the teacher. You're the interesting one. You hold the key to the evidence. And then most often, you know, you have your report to, re to refer to. So if you feel like you're freaking out or whatever, you know, just ask, hey, can I reference my report? You know, I don't 
I don't recall the specific details. And I give so many tips and tricks on, you know, you need to listen to your report, which, you know, what the heck? How can you listen to your report? If you wrote a report, how do you listen to it? And, you know, say teach on that. And, you know, you simply you just record yourself reading your report and then we all can go Mm -hmm. to sleep listening to it. We can drive to our (laughs) job listening to it, those types of things. So that way, you know the details about your report because then it's just ingrained. And then the only thing that you have to worry about is, you know, are you making eye contact with the jury? Are you teaching the jury instead of, you know, just answering Mm -hmm. and bantering with, you know, counsel? So, you know, you want to make sure that you explain science to the layperson so you dumb things down. Use anecdotes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, use examples. If you are late in print, you know, you've got your biggest diagram or, you know, whatever on your visual aid is your hand, right? So you can talk about the different parts of the hand and you can talk about your friction ridges and, mm-hmm. you know, talk about all that because it's sitting right in front of you. It's on your hand and the juries, they want to hear that. They want to see it. They want to be engaged and, and involved. And I teach, you know, different, you know, there's different learning styles, um, mm-hmm. which are, you know, awesome because when you can teach those different learning styles, you look at the jury and you're like, okay, I can see that a couple people may not be getting this. So let me kind of throw in another learning style and teach that way. And I've had a lot of positive feedback. So, you know, I mean, there's there's a ton of tips and tricks. And right. Um, there's ways to answer things. You know, bias is huge right now. It is. Yeah. It is. It's, you know, I mean. I mean, good Lord. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, but before I get into bias, I actually just want to like hit on the CSI effect. So, you know, the, the CSI effect that we kind of talked about, you know, we've talked about a little bit and then we talked about before is, you mm-hmm. know, CSI effect is the mm-hmm. misleading impression that forensic evidence is infallible, that it's immediate. It's all the sexiness that's on TV and all these shows. And that's really not the case, like, you know, like we talked about. So they believe that the uh, techniques that they see on the show are science at work. And I always tell everyone. Right. It's so yeah, awful. Exactly. I but I tell it. them, you know, I'm like, hey. You know, there's there's one TV show out there that actually does what we do out on crime scenes, you know, and that one TV show, I tell them, you know, that's kind of, you know, you want to you want to reference what they do there. And there was an episode and I show like little uh, TV clips and such. And, you know, they mm-hmm, talk about mm-hmm, instead mm-hmm. of saying cyanoacrylate. Oh, my God. What's your favorite Tell me, please tell me one of those TV clips. That oh, you show. well, I mean, I actually show a lot. But one of the things is, you know, they talk about they don't say cyanoacrylate fuming, probably because the host can't pronounce right. Super yeah, glue. Probably because the host can't right. even pronounce it right. I mean, you know, it would take them a while. Um, but yeah, so instead they say, you know, they they super they super glue fumed it. And, you know, so it's like those little things. And that's what I tell people when, you know, when you're gonna teach a jury. Dumb it down for them. You know, yeah, use use the term, yeah. but then dumb it down so that they understand so they can follow along. Speaking of dumbing yeah. it down, just so <laughs> – because you and I are, like, on the same page, but everybody who doesn't know what cyanoacrylate or superglue fuming is – Basically, when we have certain surfaces that we are trying to collect fingerprints from, we will place that item of evidence into a chamber. Sometimes it's a large fuming hood. Sometimes it looks kind of like a fish tank. And we will actually heat up superglue to the point, or cyanoacrylate, to the point where it turns into a gas. And then what happens is that gas attaches to the secretions that create 
fingerprints because whether or not you guys knew it, fingerprints are actually three-dimensional because they are 98% water and 2% secretions from your body. And it basically laminates that print. So we will laminate that print with cyanoacrylate gas and or super glue and then apply different processing techniques. So just to get into that so that people aren't like cyano what now? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I tell them, I say, use anecdotes. When you're talking about the cyanoacrylate fuming, you know, Mm -hmm. use the term super glue. Use that once and then continue to use super glue fuming and say that, you know, it's it's similar to, um, you know, like a tea kettle when the steam comes, you know, off of the tea kettle. And then you'll, you know, you'll see that the jury is more engaged. They're understanding. They're following. Hit on all the analogies, right, Shelly? All the analogies. Yes, exactly. And, you know, so... On that, like before you even go to court, you need to have what's called a pretrial conference. And so, you know, mm. obviously, oh my God, my state's attorneys didn't always give me one of those and I hated it. I love pre-trial conference and like they don't always have the time for you and it's like well mm. then they're setting you up for failure and they're also setting themselves up for failure because do they know every term that you're going to use? Do they know every process that you use? Government funding right? girl. Oh, government I, I hear funding. you, but you know, we make time. <laughs> we make time. But yeah, so it's, you I know, know, I mean, it, at the pretrial conference, you're going to go over so many things. And at the pretrial conference, I always tell forensic professionals, I always say, look, when, when you meet with that attorney that sent you the subpoena, you need to make sure that they have questions that you've written out. Because... Uh-huh. That's a great thing, Shelly. I actually have given that advice before. And... Very few people take Yeah, it. they need to, though, because if you give them questions, then they know, you know, they either, they either can ask questions about your questions because now they're, you know, they're engaged just like if you were teaching the jury, right? So they're engaged and now they're understanding. And a lot of times since they don't understand, you know, they're legal professionals, they don't understand the forensics. And so because of that, they just mm-hmm. kind of go off of their legal knowledge and they're just going to, you know, just kind of go step by step by step. But instead, if you're giving them questions and they can uh, maybe do a little bit more of a deep dive into certain issues or into certain areas where normally they wouldn't, but then it helps everyone understand it a little bit better. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, why is this important, Shelly? Like, why does a jury need us to say things? Because on a superficial perspective, you might think that a jury or an audience wants us to use this vernacular that we have in forensics because that way we appear educated, we appear thorough, we seem to know what we're talking about. But in reality, that's doing a huge disservice because then nobody knows what we are, t- what we are talking about, regardless of how smart we exactly. sound. And yeah, while you may sound super smart using all these big terms that the jury doesn't understand, that's fine. But you want them to understand because you want them to take a look because you are the one that collected, mm-hmm. you know, that gathered, collected, processed the evidence. So mm-hmm. you're, I mean, your testimony is is key. It's golden. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's part of it. Uh, you know, you're teaching the jury about, yeah, about what you do, how you do and why you do what you do. So let's take this conversation and let's like do a right turn. Let's just say something went wrong, Shelly. Yes. Okay. Like, let's like enter a fake world. Okay. Let's just say I have to test. All right, this has never happened. Okay. <laughs> but like, I have to testify in court and like my report is missing. 
or let's just say there is something that I could have done in forensics. And now that I am five years since um, that crime scene happened, and now I'm a better educated, more seasoned CSI, I realize there's something that I miss, but now I have to go to court with it. How do you recommend that people who have very tangible and visible mistakes testify to those things? Like, oh, where's your report, CSI, whatever? Oh, why didn't you use this process, CSI, um, whatever? Like, what would you recommend for those people that have errors, as we all have? So I am so glad that you bring that up because I actually, I I teach that. And one of the things that I tell them is I Mm -hmm. say, first of all, at the pretrial conference, that's what you're going to talk to the attorney about is you're going to say, look, you know what? At this time, I was new. This is what I did. Now Mm -hmm. I actually do it a little bit different. However, when you did what you did the first time when you were brand new, was it within your, and it depends on departments, was it, you know, SOPs or P's and P's, right? So your standard operating procedures or your policies and procedures. If it was within those Mm -hmm. guidelines or it was based off of your experience, your education, um, you know, your training, as long as it was within that, those will, that wheelhouse, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. But CSI Shelley, my client deserves a thorough investigation. So <laughs> you know how defense oh, yeah. attorneys... Okay, I shouldn't have said that. You know how yes. attorneys yes. can be. Like, so I completely agree with you. So I think that what you're trying to say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like what I'm hearing you say, is to not let these statements or these exclamatory gestures shake Absolutely you, not. Absolutely right? not. Because as long as you followed your SOPs, your P's and P's, as long as you're qualified to do what you do, which obviously you are, as long as you've had the proper education, the training, you've, mm-hmm. even if you didn't have a ton of experience, right? So, you know, you did this report and you did, you know, you process something a certain way back when you first started. Well, you know, you didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of experience, but guess what? Some of your experience does come from your education and your training, right? So you actually did right. have experience. So don't diminish your qualifications or your experience because you can say, you know, I was only on, on the job for a month. That's fine. How long did it take you to get the degree or the certificate or whatever it is that you're holding to get to where you're at? Because that's all part of it. Mm-hmm. So that when you tell a forensic professional that, then they're like, oh, I feel better. Well, you know, also there's you know, everything evolves, right? So back then, that's what you did. And that's how everyone did, you know, whatever that process was. But now things have moved along and they found that a a different way or a slightly different version of whatever you did is, you know, maybe a little bit better. Absolutely okay. Or you used your, your discretion. And your discretion is based off of the exact same thing. It's based off of your qualifications, education, training, experience. And you also have your continued education. So everything that you're doing is based off of all these things and it makes you who you are. And being who you are is great because, you know, like I tell everyone, the jury loves you. So it's absolutely okay. Right. So why does the jury love us more than other people? Oh, because... 
the most popular shows right now are all, you know, the crime scene stuff. So, yeah. Right. A couple of people refer to it, you know, as like crime porn or, you know, something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah murder, murder porn. porn crime right. porn, crime scene porn, like whatever it is. But, you know, that's people are addicted to it. Right. So, you know, yeah, they love it. They they want to be involved in these trials. And I've actually seen a couple people that they are wanting to be on the jury so bad that they're willing to say whatever <sighs> to get on the jury. Good Lord. But the problem is when we're selecting a jury, we know, understand and see these things. And it's a huge red flag. So just be honest, just like, you know, if you're going to come in and you're going to say that you're a complete, you know, you're completely biased or you're prejudiced or something that effect, right. we know you don't want to serve on a jury. And unfortunately, not that good of an excuse because the judge is going to look at you and they're going to say, can you be fair and impartial? And then you're going to have to you're going to have to say yes. And so therefore, you're going to be on the jury. So it's best just to be open, be honest. Yeah. You know, I think that's great. It reminds me of Schitt's Creek. There's like an episode where like she wants to be on the jury because the person who's the defendant had committed a similar crime as like one that was against her family. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let's um actually circle back to like testifying to an actual error. Like, oh, my report's missing. Oh, evidence tape is missing. Oh, there's a gap in chain of custody. Like, what do we do for like a real fuck? Okay, up, so we? if there's a gap in a chain of custody, right? Uh, let's you know use that as mm-hmm. an example. Well, um, the gap in the chain of custody was it. A handwritten? Was it a computer glitch? I mean, is there some way to explain that? Being honest, but explain it. If there is, then that's all you have to do. Being honest is just, I mean, that's all you can do. And a lot of times, if you let the attorneys know that there is Mm -hmm. a gap in the chain of custody, and that could potentially be a huge error, they can help you out with how they'll, you know, they'll gear their questions and you know, right. they'll, they'll help out, you know, with with that error, I guess. And, yeah. you know, I just realized that I don't know if uh, if our audience knows what a chain of custody is or the importance of it as well. Oh, so that's a great point. Yeah. Wanna, yeah. You want to <laughs> you want to hit on that one? Sure. OK, so you guys, when a crime scene investigator or a police officer or a detective collects evidence of any kind from a scene, what's very, very important is that we have as few hands on that item as possible. And the way that we have accountability for that is something called a chain of custody. And a lot of times that is articulated on paper through something called a property receipt, which is essentially kind of, it looks like an Excel spreadsheet with a header that includes case number, address, suspect victim, yada, yada, yada. Um, And it is a record of who has had custody of that item of evidence. So if I collect something on scene, um, I'm going to fill out a property receipt if it is going to then leave my custody. Now, that being said, 
there are things that are internal chain of custodies, which means that if I'm going to collect it into the crime scene unit and put it into property and evidence, I'm probably going to log that onto a computer. So that is a digital chain of custody. However, if I am then going to take that item and I'm going to bring it to a laboratory for analysis, then I'm going to have a physical property receipt, which is a piece of paper that has several different colors of carbon copy underneath oh, it. Oh, the carbon copy track. paper. I know, I know. That will track the movement of that item of evidence through the lab, from evidence intake at the lab to the analyst, and then back to me and back to the PD. And this is important because it is accountability. When people have right to a fair criminal investigation and a fair trial, that means that any evidence associated with their case needs to be accounted for, which is a lot of the problems that we saw in OJ. Yes. And other very famous cases. I feel like we've referenced that one too well, much. So now I, I'm going to like take although, a pause on it. But it's relevant. Who <laughs> brings evidence home with them? No one does that. I no know. one does that. I so, know. It was yeah. so bad. It was so bad. And whatever. Yeah. It was yeah. so bad. But like literally what can happen is if there is a gap on the digital or physical chain of custody this is bad news, guys. Like, this is bad news bears. This means that somebody held that evidence and there's no record of it. Because whenever there's a transfer of evidence from one person to the other, you are expected to provide a reason for that transfer. Because we come back to that cross-contamination issue. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, sometimes there's also, um, you know, and, and I, I hate to, to shed a negative light, but, you know, sometimes there's mm-hmm. evidence such as drugs or money. That is checked right. out, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, the chain of custody has some errors in it, and you know they're finding out that <sighs> yes. these, you know, the people that have checked it out, or even the lab people, have abused the either drugs or you know money, and you know they 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 sometimes t- you know they check it out and they want to test more samples. Well, testing a right. sample doesn't mean you know shoving it up your nose and testing it. Oh. Um, Actually, that did happen at a police department I worked at. That's like a whole big, long story. But basically what happened is our police department had a donation center where you could deposit expired medication. And the property and evidence unit was responsible for collecting that medicine, creating a case number for like police information. And then ultimately the drugs were to be destroyed However, during a random inventory of that, a lot of the evidence bags were empty. Ouch. Yeah. So chain of custody, yeah. that would be one of the most important reasons. Exactly. Yes. And a lot of people got fired over that. But so, like, well, how does this show up in court for, like, if you if we have, like, a defendant and there's a gap of chain in custody with, like, a primary piece of evidence? So, okay, so first, I guess, um, you know, there's so civil versus criminal. So criminal, you've got prosecution, you've got the defense. Prosecution is usually, mm-hmm. you know, like the state, they're prosecuting a an individual or a group of defendants. So someone that they are saying they committed the crime. Uh, versus civil, you've got a plaintiff versus a defendant, and plaintiff is suing the defendant for, uh, you know, whatever civil damages that they're they're suing them for, and that goes all across all civil, from you know family law through you know right. every every arena. And 
getting back to uh, your, you know, your question. So if there's a if there's a problem with the chain of custody and the prosecution doesn't say anything about it, and then now the defense mm -hmm. points it out, then it looks really bad. So um, a lot yep. of times that's, you know, that that's that's the attorney's call, whether they want to bring it up or not. Um, they know either way, you know, if 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 I bring it up, it's out in the open. However, we have to talk about it. If I don't bring it up, hopefully it won't be out in the open. You got that 50-50 chance. Right. You know, so, you know, there's just there's so many facets to everything. And I don't know if I if I even really answered your question, because I feel like there's so much that I could say. You did. No, you did. And I understand that like sometimes like we go off on tangents because it just feels like there's so many subcategories of the things that we talk about on this show. So let me ask you this. Like I, I loved, loved, loved your advice about maintaining your same schedule. Like if you have one cup of coffee, if you have this breakfast, like what if you're on stand and you literally just draw a blank. Like, what do you, what should that CSI do? Like, should they say, hey, I need a second. Hey, I need a break. Or do their best. I know you mentioned earlier, like, let me refer to my report. But I know that even though sometimes your report doesn't, you know. Yeah, exactly. Do it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's funny because, you know, that's happened. And when it's, when I've mm -hmm. seen it happen live, the juries understand that you're human. And so, you know, if, if you just completely draw a blank, you're drawing a blank, like they, the, you know, whoever the attorney was that just asked mm -hmm. you a question and you just kind of look at them and you're like, you know, I have no idea what you just said. Durr. I don't even know yeah. where I'm at yeah. right now. Like you are just, yeah, you have brain soup right now. That's okay. All you do is, you know, I'm sorry, maybe I need a minute. Or, you know, I, I was thinking about my grocery list. I'm so sorry. Or, you know, I don't know if I'd say you're thinking about your grocery <laughs> list necessarily because, you know, you want them right. to know that, you know, what you're what you do is important. You're taking yeah. it seriously. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you right. can, you're absolutely just say, I'm sorry. Could you please repeat the question? I'm, you know, either I'm not sure I understood it or, you know, I I need. Yeah, further it's, it's absolutely OK to, you know, be polite and say, can you just can you please repeat the question or, you know, do you mind repeating the question? Something to that effect. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of times if you kind of like giggle about it you know mm -hmm. you can gauge the jury and sometimes they'll giggle with you and you know if you can't laugh at yourself then everyone else yes. is gonna laugh at you from a crime scene perspective i have to completely agree with shelly every time that i have testified which has been plenty the jury was kind of always the one that calmed me like i always caught somebody's sweet smile or reassuring gaze and that was always really nice because even though i'm very confident during testimony it's still not like fun oh, yeah of course you know? of course i mean <laughs> we did you know we talked about earlier like you know court is not sexy and it's not interesting and it's a nervous no. waiting game so like i don't want our listeners to be bored with this so i actually want to right. talk about there's there's been a couple of instances um, that you know, I've witnessed or that someone has told me firsthand what they've done. Um, and one of the things that someone has told me that they did was, um, you know, they were doing a sexual assault test. And so, you know, we had we had a an, right. an episode about, uh, you know, swabbing penises for, yeah, yeah we for, did. you know, the sexual assault. And so the prosecutor asked that CSI to actually demonstrate for the jury 
how they swabbed it. Oh my it. god! And so she's, you know, she's like, okay, and and mind you, she is all of you know four foot nothing, tiny little thing. And she's like, okay. So she starts describing it. And he says, well, you know, I, I'm asking you for more of a demonstration. So, Dear yeah, Lord. So she is now, what yeah, a dick. she's super uncomfortable <laughs> because, you know, I mean, even though it's a professional thing that she's doing, it's like, you know, you're looking at, you know, at grandma and you're talking about how, you know, you're taking the shaft of a penis and you're like swabbing the exterior. And then. Yeah. You basically have to describe how you give a blow jay. You're like, I hold it by the right? base. I push the balls out of yes. the way. And then I do a circular motion around the pee hole. It's like literally the same description. It's crazy. <laughs> and so she said she was so uncomfortable. But then yeah. honestly, it w- this was the best. So and this, you know, this is great for our listeners, too. So she said when she was finished, the jury clapped. They were just like so happy. Oh, my God. Because she finally, like, <laughs> she was able to get off the stand. So thank goodness. But, you know, it was really, it was cute. I literally love I that died. story, even though I feel bad for her. Me too, because like you know that what you're describing isn't gross or sexual. However, there's no getting yeah, out of it. Yeah, I mean, it. when you're We're, doing I mean, it, you're not, you know, you're not thinking anything sexual. And then, you know, she also had to go in and say that, you know, as she's swabbing the shaft, it starts to... It leaked. Uh, actually, leaked. this one, it was it went from, you know, being completely flaccid to it started to, you know, get a little hard. <gasps> that and, has happened to me. And oh then, my God. you know, the the, the guy was, you know, started to stare her in the eyes and she said he just made it very uncomfortable. And, you know, with every department that I know of, if, you know, if there's going to be a female that's swabbing, they've got a, a male that's standing by or, you know, something, whether it be mm-hmm. another CSI or whether it be, uh, you know, a officer sworn someone because, you know, you don't ever want to be accused of anything. Same with, you know, rape kits and such for females. Let me just tell you this. We are all empowered strong, independent women. But if I'm swabbing somebody's dick, I want a a man with a gun nearby or a woman with a gun. I want 94. If you don't know what 94 means, that means backup, audience. I want 94. (laughs) I am not swabbing somebody's dick without somebody else making sure that I'm not getting stolen. Exactly. Exactly. No, I totally, I totally get it. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a fun story. Uh, there's, you know, there's another story where we were talking about the carotid restraint or the carotid hold, which is, you know, it, so there's a difference. A lot of people refer to it as a chokehold. It's not the chokehold because a chokehold is, you know, cutting off the front of the throat, like where the Adam's apple is. And the carotid restraint is cutting off, Mm -hmm. you know, the sides where there's the, the blood flow is. So, you know, our, our, our poor officer is up on the stand trying to describe this and, you know, looking at the jury, like you're supposed to, you know, he's just like, they're, they're not really getting what I'm saying. So he proceeds to to try to demonstrate it, but there's no one else there except him on the stand. Okay. So he is now trying to perform the carotid on himself. So he's pretty much just trying to choke himself out. And, you know, the jury is just starts laughing and he's like mortified, but, you know, he's he's going along with it. And he's like, you know, so now you all know what I'm talking about. And this is what I did. And they were I mean, it was it was pure engagement. So, you know, there's quite a few uh, funny stories that, you know, of different testimony. Um, I actually had one one guy that uh, prior to my class, um, he testified like 50 times, but this was a huge case in kind of a smaller town. And they asked him, you know, 
you know, they put you up on the stand and they say, you know, can you state and spell your name for mm-hmm. the record? And he misspelled his name. He was so nervous. After testifying 50 times, this is a huge case. He misspelled his name. And I have it on video. And I actually show that's one of the clips that I do show in my class, which it's fun. So that puts, yeah, I wow. mean, it, you know, puts people at ease. It's like, yes, everyone is human. Um, and I then, you know, that. I also, I also tell, you know, whoever I'm talking to, like, for instance, for you, you know, you know, for me, like the attorneys, they're gonna, uh, they're gonna do whatever it takes to, to rattle your cage. They're gonna rattle your cage because yeah. they know that you're confident. They know that you're unbiased. They know that you did what you did and that you don't, you know, you don't really have a dog in the fight. You just, you were out there to do your job and you did it and you did it damn good. I'm literally so glad you brought this up, Shelly, because I was literally just about to ask you what happens when you're getting pressed on the stand. And I am very, very lucky. This has only happened to me like a few times. Yeah. Not a lot of times, like a few times. And every single time I did feel like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I was testifying one time because it was part of the procedures that if the narcotics unit did a drug bust involving a brick of cocaine, whether or not the officer literally was the person selling or buying that brick of cocaine from the suspect, they wanted us to fingerprint it just to confirm the person, which... Any of you in law enforcement will know is like literally fucking stupid um, because if an officer is putting drugs in your hands or removing them from your hands, they can see you with their Absolutely. eyes. And it's not like, but it was just part of the policy. So rule out potential identical twins. Point, Who knows? But not even for prints, though, like whatever. So I collected a fingerprint off of a brick of cocaine and this motherfucker like pressed me for a half an hour on what I meant by a kilogram brick of cocaine like he wanted me to like have like a Webster's dictionary definition and he tried to say that I had no integrity because I didn't have a like verbatim definition of what I meant by that I'm like it is a kilogram of cocaine packaged in tape and wrap And it is formed into the shape of a brick. Well, what do you mean by a brick? It is a three-dimensional rectangle and or square. Well, what do you mean? What dimensions is it? What constitutes it being a brick rather than a square? And I'm like, you dumb motherfucker. This is not at all related to what your client did. So what do I do then, Shelly? You know what you do is you breathe and you smile because he has absolutely nothing to ask you about that is that makes any Mm -hmm. difference. And so he's just he's just attacking you. That's all he's doing. So feel confident and feel actually, you know, be like, yeah, you're welcome. You can't find anything else to ask me about. So you're going to ask me all this nonsense that has nothing to do with anything. So great job. You did an amazing job. And that's what I tell. So when I when I I actually use a couple of of examples like that, you know, where they're going to refer to I had some medical examiners in my class a couple of times and I tell them, you know what, when an attorney refers to you as Mr. instead of doctor. Nine times yeah. out of ten, it's not because they forgot that you're a doctor. They're frustrated. They're doing it to be a douche. They're frustrated and they're trying to get under your skin. So take it as a compliment that they have nothing else but just to screw with your head to try to make you forget or or you know wobble on your testimony, which 
Right. There's nothing that you're going to do because, you know, you are an unbiased party. So you did what you did and you were great. Yeah, I actually love that because I did feel that way at the time where I'm like, bro, you have nothing else to press me on other than this. But then you get people that like, okay, so just so the audience understands Right to search and seizure is protected by the Fourth Amendment, and you do have to have, um, what's it called, Shelley? Where like you're allowed to go in and search a property or a uh, well, they do f- the fourth waiver searches. Yeah, like you have to have legal right to search your residence if you are not given consent by the person who legally owns the property or vehicle unless, or whatever. Yeah, unless there's a fourth waiver so, search. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Thank you. So that's not really our job because we're not first responders. We're not detectives. So what's typically happening is I will be told by a detective, that's the crime scene. You go in and do it because I am not responsible for being like, well, do we have consent for this? Because that's not my role. So I've literally had an attorney be like, you did this resident without this residence without consent. You searched this house without consent. You collected that evidence without consent. And I was like, no, that's not my role. By the time that I arrived, consent had or Fourth Amendment had already been established and I was legally allowed to do my job. So then he would ask me questions like, so when you took those pictures without consent in the house? And then every question after that was like, so when you collected that without consent, like how do you... When somebody's like that aggressive and nobody stops them, what what's that? Advice? So that brings up some great points. Um, so there, he's trying to get you to adopt that you actually performed your job without right. consent. So when he says, which is not true, so when he says right. when you took these photos without consent, followed by a question, right? So you would say mm-hmm. um, that that question, honestly, you know, I, I can't answer that question without clarifying. So what that does is it triggers the attorney, usually the prosecutor. Because the prosecutor is most likely the one that sent you the subpoena and is the mm-hmm. reason that you're in court testifying. And so it triggers that prosecutor to follow up with those questions. Because sometimes if you try to explain, then he's going to ask the judge to strike everything that you said besides the answer. And then you just get, you know, whatever generic answer, which then could potentially adopt his uh, right. you know, his comment and his analogy of without consent. So... You know, if if he asks a a question, you know, that you did something without consent and it's a yes or no, then that's where, you know, that's where it's perfect timing to say, I, you know, I right. I, have, I can't answer yes or no unless I explain. Um, and, you know, that's perfectly fine. That happens quite a bit. And it happens uh, and and they it's, you know, rapid fire is is what we call those questions right. because that's, he's constantly. I hate it. When when you when you enter the house without consent, when you did this without consent, when you did that without consent, and it's just like one after the next, after the next, after the next, those are absolutely objectionable, and the prosecution should probably stand up and object. But you know, sometimes they let it go because sometimes they want the jury to see how big of a jerk that attorney is. Because sometimes ah. juries they will uh, find that they believe you even more because of how beat up you were by the jerk. Right. Right. The attorney should tell you that in advance though, because At sometimes the I've been conference. like, yeah, it's because I've been like, dude, where yeah. are you? Like this guy is killing yeah. me. Yeah. You know? And sometimes they won't tell you that because sometimes they don't think about it. But you know, one of the things that I did mm-hmm. want to hit on too is, you know, when, when they say that, you know, that you 
that you did whatever, you know, you took the photos without consent or you enter the house without consent mm-hmm. and they want to talk to you about the consent, that's that's not your job. So I always tell everyone, do not right. testify to, about anything that you don't specifically know. Because if you say, we had, right. you know, we had this or we had that, well, there have been instances where you thought there was a valid search warrant, but there actually mm-hmm. wasn't. And so now you're testifying to something that you don't know firsthand. So, you know, let's say that it was a a search warrant and you thought that it was executed and you thought that it was good. So he says, you know, you enter the property and the search warrant wasn't valid. And then you, you know, dusted for prints on this. And you say, well, I was, you know, I, I, of course, the, there was a search warrant. And yes, I did do that. You want to make sure that you don't testify to anything that you don't necessarily know. So you wouldn't testify to that. Right. You just say, I, you know, my job is I'm cleared by law enforcement. I'm cleared by the detective. I'm cleared by whoever it is. They tell me it's okay for you to enter the premises and to do your job, meaning photograph, uh, you know, do whatever type of crime scene analysis that you have to do. So you just have to make sure that you clarify that and, you know, stick with that. You're a boss. <laughs> well, and, you know, I do have to, I do have to say one thing. So, you know, everything that I'm saying right mm-hmm. now, the caveat, I am not giving legal advice. I am not a licensed attorney. Right. I am absolutely not giving any advice. I'm just simply talking about situations that I've either experienced, um, you know, or firsthand or heard from other people or that I have education, training and experience. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like you gave people a good overview of things that we encounter in our role, things that we have you know, we can expect in ways to kind of mitigate bullshit, honestly. Yeah. And mitigating is definitely a key to a lot of things. So, yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Shelly. That was yeah, wonderful. Yeah. So you're going to be testifying and you are going to stick with your yes. normal routine. And I am. Yes, <laughs> and, you know, you're not going to deviate from that. You know, if the only thing that, you know, I tell people sometimes is, you know, if you're working nights and, you know, obviously you're normally sleeping when trial is happening, you're going to have to deviate right. from your normal routine because you are going to have to go to court. Um, and a lot of times, one of the things that I do actually talk about, too, is, you know, a lot of crime scene investigators, forensic evidence techs, you know, people that are on crime scenes, even officers, you know, you're working overnights or you're working long hours. You know, you're not just going to be yeah. like, oh, it's, you know, I got I got to the crime scene at eight o'clock and it's five o'clock. I'm going home and I'll be back tomorrow. No, absolutely not. Right. So sometimes you're on scenes for 24, 36 hours. And yeah. what I tell people is, you know, there, you know, usually there's a break. So if, you know, if you're out on scene for that long, you can usually take like a 20 minute break or something. Ha! And if you if take that lucky, 20 minute break, break, what I tell people uh, one of the best things to do is uh, if, you know, if you drink caffeine, so take uh, 25 minutes, pound whatever uh, caffeinated drink that uh, of your choice. And then once you do that, then set your watch for 20 minutes, lay down and fall asleep because your body, it takes 20 minutes to process that caffeine. So when that 20 minutes hit, then you're going to wake up and then the caffeine's going to kick in. And you're going to have that burst of energy and you're not going to have that crash. Because if you don't rest during that that 20 minutes that is taking your body to metabolize and to um, get the energy from the caffeine, then you may crash after that. And that's that was a secret that uh, when I worked in radio that they taught us about working overnights is, you know, you just take a, a short break and 20, 25 minutes and then that's what you do. 
Yes, I have so many new tips now. I mean, I was pretty comfortable testifying, to be honest, but this is like awesome, like toolkit that you got. Good, good, good. Well, I'm super glad and I can't wait to hear. I think we should have a mm-hmm. a courtroom testimony part two after you or even a, a portion <laughs> of, you know, of, of an episode and maybe you should tell us how your testimony went. Oh, yes. A little yeah. debrief. Yeah, we can totally yeah. do oh, that. And yeah. I, before we wrap up, I totally just want to hit on one other thing. It's amazing to do that pretrial conference. Uh, make sure that you ask the attorney for it if they don't offer it, because sometimes they'll ask you questions and the questions that they that you answer, they're like, oh, well, that's not what we thought you did. So we actually don't even need you anyway. And then you get out <laughs> of testifying because it's so boring. Oh, my God. My testimony is over like one projectile because like this idiot shot whatever. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Projectiles. Yes. All right. Awesome. Guys. Well, hey. Thanks for listening to your Girls of Crime Scene Queens. If you have any other friends or fans of true crime or who may want to learn the facts from us, the experts, tell them about the show. And then always, 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 always rate with you us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to us. Spotify. Yeah, Spotify too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, give us our, our five star. I mean, you know, you can give us an extra star. I don't know if we can create one. You should testify in court that the five-star review button was appropriate for our show. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Like, swear on the Bible that the five-star review button is what exactly you <laughs> And remember, if you're going to die, do your local CSI a favor and keep it interesting. Yay! Signing off, y'all. Crime Scene Queens is a Q-Code Media production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Nate DeFort and theme song and music by Darren Johnson. 